if, um, seriously, like tonight after, after the gathering, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I want to profess my faith. I've never been baptized or maybe some of you are baptized as uh, infants and you're like, I, I want to make a believer profession of my faith. Uh, Pastor Lonnie, if you're in here somewhere, he, he's going to be standing right here, okay? So uh, if you want to get baptized, you're interested, come and find him and uh, he would absolutely love to walk you through the journey, all right? Now, I want to show you a correlation between two words and ask some intense questions about them. Um, what do fear and grow have to do with one another? It's interesting, like, uh, in three different ways, really, I, I see this correlation between what it means to be afraid and what it means to grow. The, the, the first way I'll phrase it is, there are certain situations where we're simply just afraid to grow. Um, this isn't her, but I am afraid for my daughter to grow. Uh, we do family worship uh, most nights, and, and then Avery and I, after I tuck the boys in, I always tuck the boys in first and pray over them, and we give kisses and hugs and high fives, and then I go into Avery's room, and, uh, and, and her and I are right now going through a, a devotional book together. And so I, I lay in, in her bed right next to her, and some nights she reads, and other nights I read. And like the nights that she reads, I just like, I'm just sitting there saying, God, please never change this moment. And uh, I'm just, I'm fearful. Like I, 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 like even when she was two and three, I'm like, God, is there any way you could stunt her growth so that like forever we could just experience like this? And, and now that she's eight going on 16, you know, I'm just like, God, is there any way you could just keep her right here? Is there any other dads like fearful of watching your daughter's grow up? I mean, in some senses I'm excited about it because I, I want to watch her just do a, a, an unbelievable uh, work in light of the gospel, but I, I just, I, I, I like picture myself, I'm like, I wonder if when she's 20 we can still do that, <laughs> right? And it's weird to even think about that, but I just, I cherish the thought of me and my daughter being able to share in God's word together in that way, um, the second thing sometimes is we're, we're growing out of fear. Okay, so you athletes in the room, you know what this is like. Okay, some of you guys had a coach. Maybe if you're a cheerleader, you can understand this too. But you, you had a coach, and they, like, they got in your face, and they grabbed your football helmet, right? And, and they pretty much feared you into growing, right? I mean, you're, you're like, I do not want to do one more sprint. And they're like, you will do one more sprint, or I will kill you right now, son, Right? <laughs> And do not tell your parents I said that ever or I will kill you again, right? And it's just like, what? I don't even know what's happening, right? And so you're like forced. Some of you guys experience this not in maybe the athletic field but in, in the scholarly. Like maybe there was a teacher who, who like absolutely scared you to death into preparing for that map test or getting ready for whatever it was. Like the, the fear was, no, you will grow for sure right now. The, the last way these two words uh, correlate is... Being afraid that our growth won't be enough. Uh, I, I did go on to play college football, and, and uh, my freshman year, I was the backup quarterback, and our team uh, got fourth in the nation. It was a lot of fun, a good team, and, and the starter was graduating, and so um, it looked like it was going to be my position. I found out that they had recruited a, a guy to transfer schools, and so I spent that whole summer like, like weightlifting, even though I don't like lifting weights. I know you can't tell. It looks like I lift weights all the time. But um, I was, like, pumping iron a lot. I was, like, running crazy amounts. And the whole thought in my mind that entire summer was, will all of this growth be enough? Will I be fast enough? Will I be strong enough? Will, will I be able to throw hard enough? And on and on and on. And, and it created this intense amount of fear. And 
uh, ultimately didn't, didn't pan out. Um, I want to propose to you tonight that growing is a gift. There's so many of us, and I'm going to show you this as we journey tonight, you're incredibly fearful of growing. Uh, we may not see it, we may not recognize it, and hence our journey tonight. Um, but I want to propose to you that growing is a gift. It's an unbelievable gift from the Lord. And of all nights tonight, at about 5 o'clock, I texted my daughter Avery, and I, I just said, hey, I'm so excited to see you tonight. I, I didn't tell her what I was teaching on tonight, and I, I, I swear, this is the text that she sent. I, you can't make this stuff up. So I said, Avery, I'm so excited to see you tonight. Love you. She said, I do too. I'm excited to learn more tonight. And then like hearts and all kinds of emoticons that I don't understand, <laughs> praying hands, right? Um, so I wonder if that's your heart. I wonder if you've come in here ready to learn, ready to grow. Uh, we may say yes out of one side of our mouth, but in our heart there's this fear of what, what if we do, what if it happens? So let's pray and let's journey through Colossians chapter 3. Father, thank you so much for my family, my friends here, those that I haven't met yet and those that I've known for 10 years. I thank you, God, for um, community and relationships and that tonight we can share in love together. I, I thank you, God, that we don't have to fear one more day because your word says that perfect love drives out all fear. So help us stand in that tonight. In your great and holy name, and all God's people said, amen. So open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're, we actually uh, uh, shifted gears. I got uh, a couple days into the study for tonight's text. We were supposed to go a little bit longer. I cut it short um, because of how much was here. And so as a staff, we, we wrestled together through the scripture, and I proposed to them on Monday. I was like, guys, I, there's no way I can get through more than four verses and so uh, we all kind of gave the green light. And so tonight, a shorter text. Let's start here in verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. I want to read all the way to verse 15, and then we'll start rocking and rolling and breaking it down. When you're there, say, I'm there. There we go. Here we go. Verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing, verse 13 says, with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Again, this is being written to believers. This very small town of Colossae, a heretical teachings making its way there. So all the context of this is sent to Christians. Verse 14. And above all this, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Okay, cue the quartet. Verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body, and what's the last word there, and be what? And be thankful. So this is where it begins, all right? Put on then. Our whole journey through Colossians over and over and over is how this new identity in Christ is so transformative, right? And so look here again. Put on then because of why? What does he say? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. It's this constant reminder Call to action in light of who you are in Christ. And as you start reading the scripture through that lens, you start seeing over and over and over the commands of the scripture, in particular Paul's letters, are in response to what Christ has done in us. Put on then. The words put on then should like create a contrast in your mind from where we were last week. Remember last week? Here's what we saw last week. Put to death therefore, remember? 
So like get, get rid of, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then later we saw this, but now you must put them all away. Okay? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, this contrast. So we were called last week to put away, and now we're called to put on. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Repentance makes way for replacement. Now, repentance is when we turn from our sin and we turn to the Lord. Repentance makes way for replacement because we put to death, put away, set aside, turn from these sins, these things that so easily entangle, and we turn towards the Lord, and then those things are replaced by fruits of the Spirit that start existing in our life. Let me say it this way. You can't be sexually immoral and sexually pure at the same time. Does that make sense? You repent of the sexual immorality, and it's replaced with sexual purity. You repent of gossip, and it's replaced with fruitful conversation, encouraging speech. Right. So over and over and over in Scripture, there's this contrast. You repent, and what happens, and the thing that can show you whether or not you're repenting or just apologizing is, is it being replaced with the fruits of the Spirit? If it's not, then you're just saying, I'm sorry. You turn from it for a second, and then like a, like a mouse on a hamster wheel or a hamster on a hamster wheel, you're right back at it. Right. So repentance leads to replacement. I want you to see that. I want you to understand that in your life. And so when the scripture says, next slide, when, you're, when the scripture says to put on then, it's the assumption that we've repented of these things that we're to put away, okay? Now, um, here's, what, here's what the text does, is it sets up this unbelievable moment for you and I to, to grow, to learn. So is that cool if we do that? Okay. I want to share something with you that I see clearly in this uh, text. We're to put on based on who we are in Christ, which we saw holy and beloved. And then there is this list, okay, of things that we're to put on. And specifically, it's compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, right? So it's as if there's a work that's happening in our life based on what Christ has done. Well, those two theological terms, next slide, are this, in yellow, justification and sanctification, Again, I know sometimes when you talk theology or doctrinal words, some of you see these as cuss words, but I, I, want, I want us to grow. I want us to learn right now, all right? So justification first, let's define it. Next slide. Is a legal declaration of a sinner being found righteous in God's sight. God throws the gavel. It's a courtroom term. God throws the gavel down, and he says, now in Christ you are innocent. You are justified. There's no more debt that needs to be paid. The ransom has been paid for your life in my son. His blood, his grace is sufficient for you. You are justified. Anyone ever heard of Martin Luther? Anybody? Let's get our face melted off by this. Check this out. When we are justified, it is as though a doctor has just administered a sure and certain remedy for a fatal disease. Though the patient may still endure a temporary struggle, this is what we've been talking about. Now we're healed, our sins have been crucified, we're learning as we pick up our mat and walk, how to walk as one who's been healed, that's what he's saying. 
Though the patient may still endure a temporary struggle with the residual effects of this illness, the outcome is no longer in doubt. Does that make sense? You're justified and your salvation, as we just sang, is secure in Christ. Okay? Which opens the argument, that Mark, do you guys believe if saved, always saved here? Is that, is that, what, is that what you believe? Okay? Or the old argument is once saved, always saved. Well, well, we believe if saved, always saved. Okay? If God calls you out of the orphanage of this life, and he says, now you're my son, he doesn't then abandon you. So our justification in Christ is sure. Are you guys with me? There's no going back on it. He doesn't like re-pull back the gavel. Okay? Luther uh, finalizes here. He says, the physician pronounces the patient cured, even though a rehabilitation process must still be carried out. You guys see what I'm saying? Our sins have been crucified on the cross of Christ. We're told to pick up our mat and walk. And now we're learning in that rehabilitation process how to walk as one who's been healed. Our sins no longer have dominion over us, Colossians said. Are we, are we together? Okay. So next slide. Let's look at sanctification then on the opposite end. Sanctification then is the ongoing work of the Spirit in a justified sinner conforming them to the image of their Savior. Justification is a one-time act, is a one-time gavel swing, is a one-time you're innocent in Christ. There's no other way to be justified. Sanctification then, done through the Spirit of God, is the ongoing work of growing us, of conforming us to the image of Jesus, of stirring in our hearts and bearing fruit that leads to repentance, Scripture says. Okay? This is the distinction. Now, I want to show you a quote. Don't put it up yet. I met a new friend. His name is J.C. Ryle. He died in 1900, okay? And I'm telling you, he's a, he's a new friend, okay? You, like, you guys are going to start hearing about J.C. Ryle, all right? Due to, like, unbelievable theologian, certainly there's areas where we may disagree, but this guy is just... And so I was, I was looking for, like, uh, quotes from theologians who've died a long time ago about sanctification, and then I Google imaged him. First of all, he has an epic beard. It was like down to like his navel, okay? The second thing, the second thing is that his gravestone has on it the exact same scripture that my grandfather has. 2 Timothy 4, 7 is right on the front of his gravestone. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. So I, like, I like felt like I knew this, this man, okay? Here's what he says about sanctification. Justification admits of no growth or increase. A man is as much justified the hour he first comes to Christ by faith as he will be to all eternity, right? Come on, okay? Now, sanctification is eminently a progressive work and admits of continual growth and enlargement so long as a man lives. We are justified in Christ. It's a once and for all work of God through his son. And then he puts all believers in a sanctifying work of the Spirit working within us on a growing journey. The problem is, what about the seasons that we aren't growing? What about the times when we feel like stagnant lake water? Have you guys ever had that puddle like at your house or, you know, if you lived ever in the country, there was like that one puddle that never seemed to go away? 
It didn't matter how much rain, it was like always there. Or uh, in a ditch somewhere, there was just like that, always, like that nasty stench-ridden water that never moved and it just grew thing. Like some of you feel that way, stagnant, dry, I'm, I'm not growing, I'm not thriving. I'm proposing to you all night tonight that it's possible that you're fearful of growth. I want to share with you as the night go on why, but it's possible that that's your reality, okay? Now, next slide. I want to keep going here. I want to keep teaching, okay? In other places in Scripture, we see a clear correlation between a couple things that we just saw in Colossians. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Scripture says, But we are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, another piece of identity, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Look at this. Through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. What do we see in Colossians? Did it say the word chosen? Chosen ones, holy and beloved, set apart for the work of God. Okay? Now, what do we see here again? Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification. The way I said it about a year ago in a series of teachings is that God has done a work in us to do a work through us. He sets us apart, Scripture says, as holy. In 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy, he says. And he sets us apart for workmanship, Ephesians chapter 2 says. Okay, in fact, Ephesians chapter 2, talking about that exact text says, he, he set us apart beforehand for good works. Okay? In another place in Scripture, check this out on the same issue, 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Come on now. It's the will of the Lord, the direction of the Lord that you would grow. You would see it as a gift. That you wouldn't be fearful of it. That you would enjoy the process. The, the, the issue is some of us aren't very patient. Okay? My sons right now, I'm trying to teach them basketball. So I'm trying to teach them to drop J's. I'm trying to teach them to dribble. Okay? Dawson is very, very sensitive. Seriously, if Dawson doesn't hit like a 15-footer on his first try, he'll like grab the ball, like, you know, kick it out. I'm just like, son, like this is a process, man. Like I started playing basketball when I was your age, and there were still ways that I was growing when I, you know, 20 years later. It is a journey. But some of you are just like my son, right? Like you want God overnight just to all of a sudden like, like you become a Christian and then tomorrow you wake up and somehow inherently you've memorized the book of Matthew, okay? Not just Jesus wept, like the whole thing, like you just know it, okay? It's a journey, it's a process, and it's God's will. Okay, the other text here in 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man, but what? But God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, here's where this has gotten jaded. There's been some spiritual leaders in your life that have legalistically challenged you to grow, not out of love and right motive, but out of some desire for self-ridden progress. They, like, got out the whip, and again, not in love. They were like, read your Bible, love the poor, and yet they weren't loving you. Help the hurting. and Like some of you literally, like you, you still have wounds on your back from some spiritual leaders in your life that, that in the name of sanctification were pushing you, but it wasn't done in love. I just want you to understand this. All of those wounds that some of us have 
I want us to learn a new way tonight. I want us to learn God's way of sanctification. And here I just want you to understand, if you disregard the nature of growth, you're not disregarding man, but you're disregarding God and the work of the Holy Spirit that is in you. Okay? Next slide. Check this out. Really, really neat. So Galatians 5, anyone know what this list is? Come on. Fruits of the Spirit. Okay? Now the fruits of the Spirit are to be embodied by every believer. Okay, I know some of you guys learned this in youth group with the fruit of the loom underwear and, you know, like grapes came out and they represented joy, you know, and a big apple came out and that was whatever, right? The fruits of the Spirit are embodied... Replacing, uh, replacing sin in repentance with the fruit of the Spirit being shown. Gifts of the Spirit are different. Okay? All believers embody Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. Gifts of the Spirit are just that. They're gifts. They're not symbols of maturity. Otherwise, they wouldn't be called a gift. Okay? At Christmas time, you don't give gifts based on your children's maturity. Hey, you're older. You now get 15 gifts, Right? You're younger, you get one. Like, that seems a little bit odd. In fact, sometimes it's often the opposite, right? Now you guys are like adults and you feel like you get the, you know, you get, you know, your parents are like, oh, here, you know, here's a $10 Applebee gift card, you know, and, and you're like 42, right? And you're still expecting your mom and dad to hook you up, okay? Now, the list on the left is what we just saw in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. A lot of similarities, Okay? A lot of the same verbiage. The point being, sanctifying work in us is producing these things based on the things that we already have within us. Though sanctification is a journey and a process, the striving is already gifted us in Christ. That's why it is a gift to grow. It's not burdensome. It's not something we need to fear. It is God saying, I desire you to continually, until you leave this earth, as J.C. Rowell says, I, I desire you to grow in your understanding of my character, in your embodiment of the fruits of the Spirit. I desire you to, to know my love in deeper ways tomorrow versus you did today. Okay? This is the beauty of the text. So, Things are about ready to get heavy up in here. So, you want to go? Like, do, you want, do we want to grow a little bit tonight? Okay? You're like, okay, that seems like we should already be done. Um, let, let's, keep, let's keep going. All right, next slide. Verse 13, oh dear. Bearing with one another, and, and the word bearing here is awesome, okay? And Jared affirmed this, and if Jared affirms it, it's 100% true, all right? Um, <laughs> The bearing here, it's literally like being held up. Okay, Mike, come here real quick. Mike, come here real quick. This would be fun. We didn't, we didn't stage this. Turn around. Okay, we're going to do like a trust fall. All right? Okay? All right? All right? You guys remember this in youth group days? Right? Wouldn't it be epic if I like pulled out? Anyway, okay. So the bearing here is, is like as a brother in Christ, I'm literally like, like holding him. I'm desirous of his growth. Thanks, bro. I'm like, I'm, I'm with him. I'm behind him. I couldn't see your face, so I don't know if you were. Okay, nice, nice. So the, the bearing is this, like, I'm, I'm holding you. I'm with you. 
Like, what a great gift in the body, right? And haven't you felt that way with the body? Like, haven't you felt like, man, there have been times, seasons, days, weeks, where the body of Christ has, like, bore with you. It wasn't just holding your hand. I mean, it was literally holding you up in the spirit and strength of Jesus. It's one of the greatest gifts that we have. That's why community is so vital. Let me say it this way. If you right now in the body of Christ don't feel like you have brothers and sisters that will or can or are holding you up, can I challenge you to do something? Pray for it. Ask God to bring those relationships. Seek community. The same people who want to be held up at times are distancing themselves from community. Not just here, but walking out the door. Not joining in a, in some kind of smaller setting for us, a lot of families, maybe in another church or something else, but that's the beauty of community. Now, this, this gets heavy. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, ho, ho, forgiving each other. And I, I've wrestled with these words. Man, I, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I know for sure this is a work of sanctification. And I know for sure that we have a lot of growing to do in this area. Forgiving as the Lord forgave. Do you guys understand the implications of that? If you don't, let's journey through a few of them. Check this out. Next slide. What does forgive as the Lord forgive imply? So what does Jesus do? Okay. He was wronged. You're like, well, how is, how is Christ wronged? He was sinned against. God told Adam and Eve, do not eat of this fruit. Do not eat of it. Okay? And then what happens? Adam and Eve listen to the deceiver, believe that, that the deceiver has something better. They turn their back on God. They trade a truth for a lie. And so Jesus then, sent by Father God, in response to being sinned against, pursues forgiveness. You see, some of us are so stuck when we're wronged in the body of Christ, waiting on people to realize they're wrong and come to us. And some of you have been waiting for years. Is that forgiving as the Lord forgave us? And you're like, well, he waited a long time. Like from the garden to when he actually died on the cross. I mean, if I'm looking at my watch, I got about 4,000 years, you know. He pursued it. He sought it out. So you're saying, well, Mark, does that mean that I need to like find my cross and tell someone that they've wronged me and, and then go die and show them that I can bleed out to forgive them? No, no. Please don't try that at home, okay? Um, what it does mean is that Matthew 18 teaches that when someone's wronged you, you go to them. You pursue them. You share with them how that hurt. Okay? You're like, Mark, what happens next? I'll share with you. But some of you are like waiting for years and years and years okay, for that conversation to happen. And that's not forgiving as the Lord forgave us. The second implication, this is not getting easier. Whew. I'm so thankful for the gospel. 
All right, Mark, uh, so I died for you. Then if you receive me, you got a 30-day trial period. Sink or swim, Mark. We'll see if you figure it out. I'm going to go ahead and give you my spirit, but I can take it away at any point. You screw it up. You wrong me too bad. The spirit's gone. I'm out. Mark, you're on a 30-day trial run. It's free of charge. No credit card required. After that, things get more intense. I'm so thankful that there's no probation. And so why in the world do we put probation on forgiveness? Hey, I'll forgive you as long as in the next two weeks it doesn't happen again. I mean, I'll extend grace, but you better hear me. If tomorrow again you turn, like, forget it. It's over. I mean, the one time in the scripture the disciples say, Lord, I know you say forgive 70 times 7. Like, what are we to do? And their response is just like, Lord, increase our faith. They know how difficult it is. But to forgive us, the Lord forgave us. It means there's no probation, right? There's no trial period. Let's say it a different way. Number three. Forgiveness is not based on what others have done or didn't do. Um, they didn't apologize. Right? Um, they, they, didn't, they didn't seem repentant. They didn't smile. They didn't like and on and on and on. Uh, the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Gives of himself. Completely pours out. He wasn't waiting on repentance to pursue forgiveness. He took the journey of forgiveness on his own shoulders. Now, this, this is heavy. Uh, because some of you, um, you were wronged many years ago in intense ways by people who had claimed to be in the body of Christ. And the first thing I want to say to you is, I'm, seriously, I'm incredibly sorry some of you have been sexually abused by other believers. I don't want for one second to make light of that. Some of you have been berated, cussed, accused, gossiped about, back turned, judged in the name of Jesus. I am so incredibly sorry. The work of forgiveness is receiving the grace that we have received in Christ. And not based on merit, extending it out in love and mercy. And for those of you that have encountered that and experienced that and have journeyed through that, God, I know so much that these wounds have sunk so deep. God, I'm asking, would you help me forgive this person from 10 years ago? Isn't that sanctification? Listen, isn't that inviting God to do what God has said he desires to do. Right? It's beautiful. And then as you watch your heart loose the pain, as you watch your heart's grip get away from some of the insecurity that has been fueled since that day, you get to celebrate the work that Christ can do, whether or not that person ever says, I'm sorry. Okay? Now, fourth what does forgive as the Lord forg uh, forgiveness implies? Forgiveness isn't temporal. It's not temporal forgetting to then later be used as a strategy of revenge. This is, this is classic marital strife, right? I forgive you, and then here in about a year and a half, uh, I've been holding that little 
that little index card in my pocket. And the moment you wrong me, oh yeah, honey? Remember that little instance a year and a half ago? You remember that? Right? You were like holding, you were waiting, dudes, right? Waiting on the right time, the right moment, like the right sense that it's going to stab, like in the right area. Oh yeah, you remember that? You remember how I responded in grace? Remember how I forgave? And her response should be, apparently you didn't. Okay? Now, forgive and forget is not in the scripture. There's a difference between forgiving and forgetting. I say it this way all the time. I would never tell the sexually abused female to get back into the sexually abusive relationship. I wouldn't say forgive and forget and go right back. I wouldn't say that. We wouldn't teach that. But what we would say is, in, like, forgiveness is a process and a journey, but it doesn't mean that you have to uh, succumb to all forms of abuse. But what Scripture does say is that we're called to forgive as the Lord forgave. I'm, I'm so thankful that um, I've never, listen, seriously, though some of you have heard these lies, I want you to know they're not from the Lord. Please hear this. There's never been one night in my life and shame and regret when God came down and said, Mark, I, I remember that sin, Mark. Mark, I hope you sit there in your condemnation. Mark, I hope, I, hope you, I hope you're hurting, Mark. There's never been one time the Lord has ever done that in my life. Have there been times I've heard that lie? Oh, yeah. But I'll tell you this right now, it's not from the Lord. It's not from the Lord. Have there been times I've heard, hey, you, there's no way you'll be forgiven. There's no way you'll be just, hey, actually, your justification's now in question. How can you lead all these people when you've, when you've thought some of those things, Mark? Oh, I've heard the lies, but I'm telling you right now, if you've heard them too, they are not from the Lord. To forgive as the Lord forgives, it means that he has embodied literally wiping it as far as the east is from the west. Your sins are holistically forgiven. The power of Jesus being real, if it's anything less, then it's lessening the death and the sacrifice of Christ. And we're literally saying then, the cross is not enough, God. There has to be more. So, are you fearful of growing? Let me show you this. Journey with me here. Some of you believe that if you grow in a sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life to understand the fruit and the depth of forgiveness, you fear that God is going to put your life and use your life as an example of what true forgiveness is. And he's going to put you in opportunities to have to extend some of the grievous forgivenesses. And so some of you sit back, you're like, I don't want to grow. I don't want to be challenged in forgiveness. Like I, if it means that he's going to like take me on this journey to cause me to forgive this hurt, no, I don't want it. And that's what some of you in your heart are desiring. I don't want to do that. Mark, it's better living like the old man in that area. It's better just letting that, it's better letting that piece of my identity dictate me. Please hear me. Please understand this. Every sexual abuse... Every pornographic image, 
every physical abuse and, and words that you heard from your parents, every words that some of you have heard from elders or spiritual leaders, all of those things cannot dictate your identity anymore in Christ. Christ has bound up those things and is in a process healing all of those wounds. And some of those journeys, for whatever reason, he takes you on what seems to be, uh, as the Israelites went uh, in Egypt, the long way around. But you're not defined anymore as one who's been sexually abused. You're defined as one who Christ has now called a son and a daughter. And that's victory. So for some of you that, that have been fearful of forgiving, can I say it this way? It's a gift to forgive. And you've been the benefactor of the greatest gift of forgiveness that you can ever receive. So you know it firsthand. All right, so maybe, maybe he's done, right? Not so much. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So I took seven years of piano. <laughs> I told Brandon I was doing this. He was like, dude, please don't. Wait, hold on. Give me a second. Anyone know the song? Anyone know the song? It's kind of lame, right? Because it's, it's like there's no... Way better now, right? Here it goes. Come on. Cheers theme song, right? Come on. Right? <laughs> That's the only song I learned in seven years of piano lessons. The Cheers theme song. A show about a bar, right? No worship songs, no like. <laughs> I'm so excited to share that with my parents. I grew up on Cheers. Like me and my dad would watch Cheers every night. Wholesome television. <laughs> Harmony is crazy though, right? Like one hand, it's kind of lame, but then all of a sudden, like the chords start to come together and it's beautiful. I mean, it's one of the things I love so much about our crew who leads every week. Like the, something happens in harmony uh, that is beautiful. Some of you guys know that we have a, a world champion uh, guy who, who sings in a quartet uh, here, Chris Hallam. And I've gone and watched them. And you want to hear about like some harm. Chris, are you here? Is he here tonight? This is going to be embarrassing if he's not. Okay. If someone can note that on his leadership attendance, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> but when you go and watch, when you go and watch them, like there, there's something that happens, right? Like when you see a great barbershop quartet, I mean, it is just like. So when Scripture says, above all these, put on love. It binds everything together in perfect harmony. My question is, how? Check out this next text. This helps. Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. That's good. Now look at this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to what? He's talking to the community. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love. 
okay? And good works. Look at this. Now, now here's what he connects it to. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Have you ever heard of someone say that my church is in my basement by myself? Have you ever heard someone say that my church is watching TBN? Have you ever heard someone say, I don't need the church? As we taught about the church many weeks ago, if you disconnect the head of the church from the body of the church, the head being Christ, the body being the bride, then you have a misunderstanding of what the church is. It has a head and it has a body. The head is Jesus, the bride is the body, and we are one. So he's saying, don't neglect in meeting together as some have and as some will. And some of you have gone through journeys, seasons where you've been like, I don't need the church. Well, the problem is, encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the day is getting near of Christ's return. I wish it was tonight. Seriously, like I long for it. You're like, Mark, but we got it pretty good here, man. Like we got it pretty good, but Mark, what about my kids? Listen, I tell you all the time, I want Jesus more than my wife and my children. I love my family, I love you, but Jesus is way better. I want him to come back now. Lord, save us now, right? But in the meantime, we get this opportunity, having experienced the depth and the love of Jesus, to love one another. Some of you are really fearful of love. And not like the Hathaway song, right? Right? What is love? You know? I'm talking about that. Some harmony would have been nice there, actually. Um, some of you are, re- are really fearful of growing in your understanding of love. Because you think, maybe, just maybe, if I grow in my understanding of love, then God is going gonna to call me to love someone that I don't want to. And so what's better is if I don't learn more about love... If I don't understand how to better love the body of Christ, if I sit back, uh, some of you have completely distanced yourself from community, and I want to ask you why. Uh, some of you, listen, some of you may go to a lot family, but you put up the hazard symbol on like all of your body, and it just says, don't love me. Don't hold me up. Don't encourage me. I'm here because I have to and because I think God's keeping attendance. What happens when you let people in? The beauty that happens when you say, God, please help me receive the love from the body of Christ, even though I've been burnt. When you release the fear, then yeah. In our growth and sanctification, maybe God will say, hey, um, this is really exciting. And so, man, your, your understanding of loving others and self-sacrificial love and hospitality it's so incredible. You see, that, you see that person right there on the side of the road? I want you to love them and bring them in your house. And you're like, God, I didn't sign up for this. God, I didn't sign up to move to Asia. I didn't sign up, God, to talk to my neighbors even when I'm tired of it. God, like I signed up to live in a nice Christian community Go to a nice, you know, kind of suburban, urbanist church and, and sing some. God, that's what I signed up for. And what I feel like the word is consistently saying is, no, then you have a misunderstanding of what you signed up for. Then ask the 10 of 11 disciples who were killed because of their faith. 
And the mantra of the message was love. And they were killed for it. They were killed, including Jesus, for spreading the message of love. And what does Jesus say? They hated me, and they will hate you too. In the name of love? Come on, we're fearful of that. We're fearful of being hyperextended. We're fearful of being alone on the island. We're fearful of what we'll do when all of a sudden we're in a situation where six people are going against the faith and we're having to stand strong where people are cussing God and asking us questions that we're... And in that moment, what does love look like? We're fearful of that. And so we say, God, I'd rather not grow. So I'm going to pull back from my scripture reading. I'm going to pull back from my community. I'm just... I want to follow you up to a point, and I'll define that point, God, and if you take me any farther, I'm going to stay right here. Can I ask you this tonight? How many of you have dictated to God how much he can grow you? I'm so be real nice if he was done. He's not. Check this out. Next slide. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Oh, my goodness. This word rule is unbelievable. Let the peace of Christ rule like sit on the throne in your heart, like with authority reign in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So I was like starting to sit back from this, this collection of texts, and I started to see something pretty clear. Okay, next slide. I want to show you this, all right? Now, if we begin with Christ, all right, the next facet is belief in Christ, then the next facet that happens is justification. Okay, so we believe in Jesus. We say that, that Christ, a cross, was real, that it wasn't just a, 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 some kind of image of a God not really going through pain. No, he suffered and he died. And anyone who believes in him, Scripture says, is justified, seen as innocent. That justification then leads to sanctification. The one-time event of being seen as innocent then puts all of us on a journey of growth, led by the Spirit that he's gifted us, growing as a gift. And then what that leads to is this, peace. Now, I sat back from this, listen to this, I sat back from this and I was like, How many times in my life have I associated peace and growth? And I was having to be honest with myself like maybe you are now. Not too many times. The journey was hard. It didn't seem peaceful. The coach was yelling. It didn't seem peaceful. The teacher was pointing her finger. It didn't seem peaceful. How is it that growing in Christ in a sanctifying work Let's, as the scripture says, the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts. Here's how. Next slide. Check this out. Okay? You take Christ out of it. You take Jesus completely out of the equation. Here's what happens. Next slide. You take everything. Without Christ, there's no innocence. Come on, right? Without Jesus, there is no innocence. A lot of people believe a lot of different things that when they get, uh, when they get before the Lord... They're going to be able to say all kinds of things. But what about this? What about this? But I certainly served you here. 
I said the right things. I did the right things. I was an attender, God. I sat on the bench. I applauded those who were serving Lord. Like, wasn't that enough? And, and he will say, many, uh, the, many of the, the, the folks will hear, I don't know you. Without Christ, there's no innocence. Okay? Without innocence in Jesus, there's no growth. You're like, but Mark, but certainly people can grow and conquer their addictions. But for what end? Certainly right now for, through self-help means and all kinds of progress and steps, it, there, there's the appearance of growth. And, and we could even say there's some su- substantiated progress. But when growth and the intention of it isn't headed somewhere outside of self, then what really is it? And without growth and ultimately without Jesus, no peace at all. So first, let me say to those of you that think that you can find peace apart from Christ, let me just save you a lot of time and trouble. There is no peace outside of Jesus. None. Zero. He's called the Prince of Peace, not just in a Christmas song, but in reality. Okay? There's no peace apart from Christ. You know it because you've spent a lot of time looking for it. Okay? So next slide. When that happens, when we're freed, when we see, like, this journey that God is taking us on, then we can claim victory, okay? Next slide. The opposite of, of that is self. It begins with self. I believe that, that in, in and of myself, I can find purpose. Oh, yeah, Mark, I'll show you. I, I can prove to you, Mark. I can read this book or I can journey with this group of people. No, I can, I can find my way through purpose. And then, Mark, I will find myself a good life apart from Christ. And that good life apart from Christ will end in eternal death. You're like, Mark, that seems hardcore. No, listen, I'm trying in a very loving and understanding way, I'm trying to to share with you that there's another option, (laughs) that it doesn't have to end in eternal death and separation from the Lord. It can end here and then in eternity with a heart that is ruled by the peace of Jesus. So let's let's get real for a second here. You're like, I'm pretty sure we have been for a while now. Listen, I'll speak for myself. What if I wasn't afraid to grow? What would that look like? What would it look like if I celebrated sanctification? What would it look like if I saw God's word as a gift and not a burden? Uh, What if tonight I was so stirred like I was last night? God woke me up even earlier this morning. And I was still, like, kind of angry at him. I was like, I haven't slept hardly at all, you know. And, and I just woke up and, and just started enjoying communion with him. Like, like what, if, what if my heart completely shifted? What if you all of a sudden said, God, I don't want to be fearful one more day of your will in my sanctification. I want to put on these things. I desire my repentance to be replaced I'm telling you right now, friends, the things that we would see in our specific calling for our life, we would see it immediately. There would be some of you tonight in your room in complete surrender to the Lord that he'd be like, all right, let's go. Hey, you see that neighbor that you've been neglecting for years? Why don't you start by finding out what their name is? And then you get to go on this amazing process as you grow in your boldness, 
And a year from this day, you get to watch the salvation of that neighbor that you barely even prayed for. And now all of a sudden, you're standing in front of them proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Is this possible? Can those in here who lack courageous all of a sudden become bold? Can those in here that have tremendous gifting, but for whatever reason have been watching on the sidelines, everyone else serve, can that shift? Can the angry in here become meek? Can those who have become self-centered all of a sudden become humble? Can that happen? If it can't, then the gospel is not real. If it can, then all of a sudden the cross of Christ, listen, wasn't just for our justification, but in the will of God it was for our sanctification. And then the dirty clothes come off and the new clothes are put on. And we get a chance in boldness through the Spirit of God to tell the world why it is that we're growing. And it's not because we're trying harder. It's because God loves us and has changed our complete identity. That is who we are in Christ. Let's stand together. Come on. Don't, don't normally do this. I, I just I want you to close your eyes. I'm just going to ask, I'm going to ask God right now to fill this room with his peace. I'm going to ask him right now just to like overwhelm us with his peace. To flood this room with peace. And I think maybe as the text says, Maybe tonight our hearts just need to be changed to be thankful for the peace that is ours in Christ. So Father, um, grow us. Change our hearts. Overwhelm us right now, God, with your love and with forgiveness. I pray that any action step tonight, God, would be birthed not out of duty, but out of freedom. God, transform our mind and our heart to see growth as a gift. Help us not run from it anymore in fear of what you'll do. And so, God, in light of that, right now, over friends that have lived 30 years without peace, I pray, God, that you will infiltrate their heart with faith that they would call on your name and that they would even receive in this very second peace from you. I thank you, God, that that peace isn't mere inspiration. I thank you that it's revelation. So flood this room with peace, God.